A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jamie Smith. I talk and blog about Burnley Football Club for whoever will have me. Hi, my name is Mark Simpson, and I'm going to be representing Liverpool Football Club. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Obviously, the big story of the past week was what was supposed to finally be a big deadline day, but ended up a lot of the big transfers didn't actually end up happening. You had Alexis allegedly on his way to City already. His camp thought that deal was done. You had Coutinho, who was, uh, seemed Barcelona-bound. Um, you had Virgil van Dijk, who was supposed to be heading to Liverpool. You had Riyad Mahrez, who was supposed to leave Leicester. Diego Costa, who was supposed to leave Chelsea. None of these pieces actually ended up moving so I want to start off the show by talking to you guys about how these players should be handled by their clubs now. Do you fully integrate them? It's a World Cup year, so in theory the players will want to play. Just what would you do if this was happening at your club, and what do you think will happen at their actual clubs? I think it's a, a really interesting situation that these players and the managers are in now. Um, luckily, we don't seem to have that at Burnley because we did our outgoings relatively early with Keane and Gray going and obviously we're operating on a slightly different level um, but I think also it's it's telling the different reactions from the different players involved so you've got Coutinho who effectively went on strike then was fit enough to play for Brazil even though he hadn't played for Liverpool and then you've got players like Riyad Mahrez who've said they wanted to go very early in the window but got their head down worked hard and have played which I think is the right way to do it um, but in the case of people like Van Dijk who've been training alone, not really a part of the club, haven't had much of a pre-season, it's now going to be very difficult because they are prize assets for their team. If you're Southampton, you want Van Dijk to be playing every minute of every game if possible. But if he's made it that clear that he doesn't see himself at the club, it's tough. But can you leave out someone who's that much better than the rest of your team? It's very, very tough. I think someone like Coutinho... Although um, his actions to me suggested someone who was very much trying to force through a move, he didn't say anything publicly, did he? And I think that's that's a big step sometimes in the eyes of the fans. If, if they're publicly saying that they want out, I think that's much harder for them to be rehabilitated. But like I say with Mares, he did that and then carried on playing. So I think it's... Case-by-case basis now. I think Sanchez will carry on doing his best at Arsenal like he always does. He always plays at 100%. Coutinho, I think Liverpool probably told him that he can go to Barcelona next summer. Um, And people like Van Dijk and Mahrez, I think they're just going to have to get on with it. Yeah, well, 
my team is one of those teams where we were involved in a situation with Liverpool. We, we you know, we, we had the Virgil van Dijk affair coming in. We didn't, didn't actually happen. And the Coutinho on, on the going out. And um, like James said, it's a case-by-case basis. Uh, I'll start with, with Phil Coutinho. Absolutely right. It, it was pretty much agreed behind the scenes that when he signed his new contract, that he would go to Barcelona in 2018 to replace Iniesta. Now, the um, the player accepted this, the club accepted this, and um, the thing that, you know, that put the spanner in the works was the whole Neymar situation going to PSG. So Barca have panicked. They've, you know, they want to appease the fans and they've just pushed ahead and tried to get to continue over the line. Um, now, all of this, uh, you've got to remember who the player's agent is. And it's, it's uh, Kia Joachim. It's the famous agent, you know, Tevez's his agent. He's an absolute slime ball. He will do anything to get his, his payday. And he's, he has pulled literally all the strings in this situation. And it, and it is well known at what he, what he can do. Um, he looks after a lot of Brazilian football players. Um, there is a, you know, if you Google his name, as I did when I when I found out that uh, at the start of some of it, that he was his agent. You can go see one of the news articles where he, he literally uh, a team in Russia. He he flew all of their players home, um, you know, in, in like a protest because when the players were were refused moves, he he will do literally every trick in the trade, and and it and you couple basically with him and Barcelona putting severe pressure on this kid saying that it's either now or never, you know, his family all wanting to move, pressures from obviously the, the situation there. And it, it got to him, you know, he, he never came out publicly to say that he wanted to leave, but the transfer requests, you know, this is transfer request. It's, it's crazy. Our country more than anywhere else. Um, transfer request means so, so, so much, mostly because they sacrifice their, their loyalty bonus, where it, now it goes into the millions. The back injury, um, yeah, it, it's one of those people connected to football say that if, a, if, a, if you find out that a player's got a, a back injury, it, it normally means that, you know, because anybody can just say, I've got, I've got a back problem. Um, the, 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 the club have come out and said that, listen, if he said he's got a back problem, you know, he had a back problem. But uh, for me, I, I don't buy that for one second, purely because you see him banging in goals for, for Brazil and, and training as soon as he goes out there. How will he be integrated back into the team? It all really depends on Klopp wants to do with him. You know, he, he, is, a, he is a massive believer on the group as a whole. You know the the group being one, and it's how he he gets them to buy into his very very strict training regimes is because he he has everybody fighting for the same cause. And when you've got somebody like Phil Coutinho who has said, "Listen, I I want to go," who doesn't want to be part of his team anymore, I I think Klopp will um will find it find it hard to trust him again. It'll be so interesting to see how he brings him back into it. I, I personally don't see him um, in the squad for City, which is our first game. Um, I'd be surprised to see him involved in Seville. I think you're probably going to start seeing him at Burnley at home, maybe even the League Cup against Leicester away, which is the week after. But I fully expect him to be back into first-team squad and, and uh, firing all cylinders by 
the end of September, start start of October. Um, I, I I imagine PSG come back in for him. Um, PSG have been a big fan of him for a long time. They've they've tried to get him a number of times, and now they've got his best friend in football, Neymar. There, I can see just that making making fit. As far as the other guys, you know, I I don't know. Alexis, Alexis and and Van Dijk and and Mares are special cases because in January, all these players are going to be hot hot buys because they're not Champions League tied. Alexis. Um, in particular, um, he he could go anywhere. Like City will probably go back in for him. Van Dijk, I would love him to come to Liverpool. He is he is one of the he is the best defender in this league, maybe in Europe, one of the best in Europe. And this is why the club were willing to pay up to eighty million pounds for him. It is ridiculous how much money was on the table. And and I've got Southampton have got the biggest balls in football. You know they they have. They have turned down 70, 80 million pounds. You know, it's it's like a, a third of what the new owner has invested into the club. And and fair plays, you know, they said they weren't going to sell him and, and they didn't sell him. Liverpool messed up. They could have easily had him at the start of the summer for about 50, 60 million. They tried a strong arm tactic to stop a bidding war because City, Arsenal and Chelsea were all in for him. When, when Klopp managed to convince Van Dijk to sign for us, Liverpool tried tried a, a risk tactic. It didn't work. It backfired massively. They had to publicly state that they didn't want him anymore. And, and that's why it got to the situation why he's not at this club. Um, I would love it if Liverpool go back in for him in January. If we get, we, we have to wait now for Southampton to say, yeah, you can bid for him. Uh, but would Van Dijk want to come to us after now being left at a club where he is, like Jamie said, publicly come out and said, I want to leave. I do not want to play for his club anymore. The board have gone against the word. He, he slammed them. You know, you went on any Southampton uh, forum or if you looked at the Southampton Twitter, they were dead against them. And they have bought to replace him. You know, they've got the, the Dutch centre-back in there. Yeah. yeah, they've got him. They've got, um, they don't need him in that, in that starting eleven because they have technically replaced him. But like Jamie said, he is a world-class defender. You want to get him in your team. So, are you going to upset the squad dynamic? And you, are you going to upset the new guy by saying, "Listen, we really want you, but we never, we never got rid of that guy, so he's going to be in the in the team ahead of." You. Or does Pellegrini go against everything? He tried free, free at the back in the League Cup, and they got knocked out. So, you know, it's like uh, it'd be interesting to see what he does there. Is he has he got the big personality of his new manager to 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 handle this situation? Who knows? Um, uh, you know, Alexis. I think the Liverpool game said it all, Sanchez. He did not want to be there. He had that smirk on his face. The camera, <laughs> the camera got him at that perfect time, just after he'd come off. The players of of from all from what all we know, and it would be it would have been good to have an Arsenal fan on here tonight to confirm this, but the players have turned against him. He doesn't want to be there. But again, he's a world class player. So what will Wenger do? Um Amarez, you know what, he, he'll just play and he'll play and he'll get his move in January. You know, again, he's a Champions League quality player and he needs to be in the Champions League. Leicester mm. have done well to keep him. Costa, we haven't even mentioned Costa and <laughs> Barkley. I, I can't even see Costa coming back into this country, never mind to the club. And Barkley, you know, he, he's basically signing for Spurs. Somebody's had a word with there as he's on his way to his medical. Someone's had a word from Spurs that's saying, listen, we'll sign you in January. So he's obviously going there. Uh, but yeah, madness. Like 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 you said, deadline day proved to was billed to be 
this massive, massive thing. And there's, and there's like people like Thomas Lamar, you know, people, Arsenal were chucking in 100 million euros bid on a kid who's just had one good season in France. This is insane, like what, 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 what could have happened. But in the end, it just proved to be Dan, the Danny Drinkwater for 35 million, which is absolutely insane. Yeah. The only thing I'd really add on Coutinho that I think adds a really interesting little twist is Liverpool all summer said he's not for sale, he's not going to go. Whatever they offer, he's just not for sale. And then Barcelona, the day after the Spanish deadline finished, came out and said, they said 200 million euros will do a deal. So for Coutinho to, to be told one thing all summer, you're not going, you're not going. It doesn't matter what they offer, you are not going. To then find out that they effectively offered him out on the last day, you could argue that Barcelona are maybe being a bit disingenuous with all the upset over transfers there, but I just wonder what sort of impact that has, that has on Coutinho's mentality, being told they couldn't go and then learning a couple of days after the window closed that actually... Liverpool were willing to sell if Barcelona went high enough. Sorry, sorry, Jamie, that that's false. It's proved to be false. It, it it wasn't it wasn't the case. It was just Barcelona spin, media spin. Um, who's never... who's proved that it wasn't the case? Surely it's Barcelona's word against Liverpool's. Yeah, but it, it's it's one of those. But this was this was one of them where it, that figure w- w- was never mentioned. Uh, it's just it's Barcelona spin. You you got to think of it where. Barcelona. You can't prove that it's not the case, though, can you? It's, it's Liverpool yeah, you say one thing, it. Barcelona say the other. There's a guy called Rafael Hernandez, if you follow him on Twitter. Just go watch his thread from Saturday morning. He lays it all out. He proves that the, the 200 million never happened. Um, the, the, 200, the 200, supposed 200 million quote was, was false. And this is a guy who knows Barcelona inside out. And again, you can go to, to to other people, but it's it's one of those. It's 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 the he said she said. It's it's the selling club and the buying club. But um, yeah, you, if if you if you if you if you if you read between the lines on that, that's basically the the, the situation of what happened with Phil Coutinho and Barcelona and Liverpool this summer. Well, it's definitely definitely interesting. Uh, <laughs> kind of leading Jamie's way. I I don't know. Um... If we'll ever get the the full story on how all of this happened, but uh, do, do we think he might leave in January? Or do you think it'd be next summer? I would say <laughs> I would say seventy percent next summer, but there's always that chance that January could come along. It, it all depends on on Lamar, you know. Like if he comes Why is in, Lamar the only winger replacement in the entire world right now for <laughs> Premier League clubs. <laughs> I don't know. He's at Monaco, he's, and everyone wants to buy Monaco players. <laughs> he's come out. He's come out of nowhere, but he's been like he's been the one that's been targeted, and and he's obviously he he wanted to go. He didn't want to go to Arsenal, but he he uh, he said he wanted he wanted Liverpool. And but you, you can see how it makes sense because he he can play as a winger, but he can also play as a as a central midfielder. We've gone and we've gone and bought. You know, he he he. You watch. You know, you, but then again, you look at Cater. And Naby Keita coming in next summer, you can easily see why he's coming into this team because he does a lot of the stuff that what Phil Coutinho does. You know, he's, he's great on the half term. He, he he can easily get the ball from midfield to attack. He takes players on for fun, and he will just drive at teams. And then you've got someone like Lamar coming in who could play alongside him in this four-three-three formation or four-one-two-three formation, and it just makes so so much sense of how these two players 
can come in and replace a Phil Coutinho in, in this Liverpool team. Mm. I, I, if you were to say now, you know, I am a betting man. And I would say that it would be next summer that he goes. I, the only situation I could see him going in January would be if, I don't know, we, we, we absolutely have an awful September to January campaign. We get knocked out of the Champions League and all, all that jazz. And then it just, it just, just happens. Um, for me, yeah, I think this is all really interesting. The Coutinho thing uh, sounds very similar to what happened with us uh, with Luka Modric when he was trying to force a move to Chelsea uh, the year before he ended up moving to Real Madrid. Um, especially, like Jamie said, just n- publicly disappearing um, yeah. is exactly what happened with that situation where obviously everybody knew he wanted to leave Chelsea, like Barcelona, were, were very public in their pursuit. Um, and so you were hearing it from that one side. Uh, and Levy started kind of like what Liverpool said. Levy just said, we're not selling inside the Premier League. Uh, he tried to stamp around and get his move, but that was all internal. And I think that is a very big difference, as if they do keep it under wraps. Um, of course, we didn't end up selling him. Like what uh, Mark was saying, Modric didn't play the next couple matches for us. Um, and he didn't start the season playing for us. He... he waited you know to be fair he never had a fake injury he just straight up said that his mind wasn't in the right place to play for the club which is uh somehow more honorable but dumber (laughs) at the same time um (laughs) but uh anyway then you know he ends up staying i think harry redknapp was a very good manager at the time to have to deal with that just because of his kind of congenial nature um, just being able to be like, listen, if you play well, you get your move to another country uh, next year is obviously what ended up happening. He ended up, I, I think he actually ended up being in the team of the year that year or, or it was the year previous. Mm, wish I hadn't said that, but <laughs> cause I don't remember, but, um, I think that is interesting. I think there could be a way back in for Phil Coutinho, but, uh, Jurgen Klopp has gotten rid of players for far less, including a center back that is better than every center back remaining at their club. Um, I assume that they will play him, like Mark said, because he's still their most talented player. But I, I think we'll still have to see. <laughs> uh, just quick list on the other ones. I don't know how this Alexis thing gets solved in any healthy way. Um, unlike Coutinho, I think Alexis has to move in January. That just seems so poisonous right now. Um, Mares, as both of you were saying, has handled this very professionally. And not only has he played at the start of the season, he's played very well to start the season. Um, I think that's very admirable from him. Van Dyke, he has to, well, <laughs> I just realized something really sad. I was like, he's going to have to play if he wants to get to the World Cup, but Netherlands might not, although today's win against Bulgaria, obviously a big step in that direction. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. Diego Costa, I agree. I think that that's just sailed. He's probably not ever coming back to Chelsea. I think the next time we see him will be in an Atletico Madrid shirt, but that can't be till January. I'm a little surprised he didn't do the weird Arda Turan thing, which at the time seemed dumb, but now seems like a decent way to do that, of go to the new club, be there, train with them for six months, then by the time the, the, the transfer ban is over, it's finalized, and then you know, you're already used to the system, you're already used to the players, but you know, it's uh, yeah. easy I to say. With that one, I just think... Atletico can't afford him at the moment. Oh, because they couldn't sell either? They can't sell. Griezmann probably would have gone if they didn't have the transfer ban, so they would have been able to rebuild. But then they had to give Griezmann a new contract for him to say he was going to stay. I think Costa will go in January when he costs a lot less money. 
Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm more surprised that he didn't go somewhere like Milan on loan mm. and just like go and play somewhere else for a bit. But yeah, and yeah, that weird like Everton link easy. that popped up, like <laughs> yeah, Kuman was like, "We'll have you." <laughs> yeah, you're like oh, okay. <laughs> no, I think I think that's a really good shout. But um, yeah, I, I think players can work their ways back in. Obviously, this is case by case, as both of you said. I think Coutinho and Mares are the, have the easiest paths back into their teams. Alexis and Van Dyke, I think, are going to have more of a difficult time, not because of their talent, just because of the way they handled their situations. But yeah, it'll definitely be something interesting and worth keeping an eye on uh, to see how all of these situations resolve. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, uh, the deadline day being over. Obviously, it's worth touching on who we thought had the best windows, who we thought had the worst windows. I assume some of those clubs we just mentioned are up there with some of the not best. But who most impressed uh, for you guys during the transfer window this year? Um, I think Man United had a really good window. Um, obviously, this, this whole thing about Mourinho always wins, the prem- always wins the league title in his second season at a club. And it seems like in the first year, a lot of his work is identifying exactly what is needed to make that extra step. Um, I think Lukaku's fantastic signing for them. There's a lot of talk about does he do enough outside the box, does he contribute enough in, outside of goals, but if Lukaku scores 20 to 25 Premier League goals, I think he's done his job, um, first and foremost. Matic is obviously a fantastic signing as well. It's a bit strange that Chelsea would let him go, even though they've arguably upgraded in Bakayoko and drink water I suppose um, but to allow a title rival to strengthen in a position where they were in need of a player exactly of that profile is to me very strange um, Lindelof maybe not so great so far but he's got a lot of time to, to fix that and you could argue that him coming in has brought the best out of Phil Jones so yeah I think United have had a fantastic window obviously no one's really left either they brought Zlatan back so Everything that they needed to do, they did really well in the Premier League. And I think they're a long way away of of their rivals. Teams like Man City seem to spend a lot of money on fullbacks and didn't really address the other issues in their squad, like defensive midfield and centre-back. I think that's probably going to come back to haunt them. Arsenal had a bit of a shocker. Liverpool, I think, could have probably done better. They didn't get their top target. So I think Man United certainly a long way ahead of the teams at the top. And I think West Brom had a really good window as well. Tony Pulis did his typical thing of saying that he wanted new signings, even though the 
picked up good results at the start of the season and then they did incredible business towards the end of the window. Krikoviak could be one of the signings of the season. Um, and obviously, as a Burnley fan, I'm a big fan of Jay Rodriguez. I think he'll do fantastic work there. Players like Gareth Barry will come in and improve the team. And I think West Brom will have a, a typically very solid season and probably finish 8th, ninth in the league. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, United did do well. They missed out on, on what he wanted. He wanted a winger. Uh, they, they missed out on Perisic um, and obviously Griezmann at the start. Uh, some of they have done well getting in. Matic will, will prove to be good just purely because it helps Pogba get further up the field where he'll do the most, you know, the, the, the best of his work. Um, I think, you know, if it wasn't for Spurs making some decent signings late on, the, all the London clubs would have messed up this summer. Uh, like Chelsea and Arsenal, well, we can talk about them later, but they've just, just looked like an absolute shambles. Um, Liverpool, we, you know, we, we got two out of the three of the players, the main targets that he wanted. He, he wanted Salah, he got him. He wanted Cater, he got him. But yeah, he's not going to be coming in until next summer, although there is a big rumour that he could potentially come in January if Leipzig absolutely bomb between now and January, get knocked out of the Champions League, for example, which would be a nice little bonus. And it obviously did obviously didn't get Virgil van Dijk. But again, they will go back in from in January because Klopp wants him that much and they are willing to pay big money for him. So between now and then, it's, it's just a case of smoothing over relations with Southampton, which are at the moment at an all-time low. Um, I I think the best I, I I reckon Spurs have done the best business. Um, the you know getting in the the PSG right back and getting in that guy from Ajax looks really good. There's not many players that that they could assign, you know, because you've already got Spurs have already got a fantastic team. You know, they they played some of the best football. Uh, Chelsea obviously deserved to win it last year, but Spurs ran them very close. So there's not many players that Spurs could have gone out and signed to improve your your first team. But by signing that right back, um, you know he's he's going to do well and getting the, the game from Ajax. It just strengthens, just just strengthens the squad a bit. Um, you know, I'm I'm personally as a Liverpool fan really happy with what we've done getting in Robertson, um, bringing in Oxley Chamberlain. We just add him. Uh, pace and I think Jurgen Klopp has, has tried to tell us all he's tried to tell Liverpool fans the thing that you cannot defend against is pace we've got Mane we've got Salah we've got Moreno who has come back into the fold from nowhere he's lightning you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold on the right he's lightning quick so we're going to be hitting a lot of teams with pace um, this year and it'll be uh, and we, we've we finally from, from, a, from a Liverpool point of view solved a problem that we had last year. I mean, we from the first 19 games of last year, we let in 21 goals. And then this, in the second part of last year, the other 19 games, we let in 21 goals. So we let in exactly the same amount from the, the first three months when we were flying to the second part of the month where, where we sort of dropped off a cliff. And the reason why is because Mane was gone for five weeks after African Cup of Nations. And then after the Everton game, he missed the last two months after his injury. And then we, so basically we were missing our pace so by bringing in Salah, by bringing in Oxley Chamberlain, we'll keep that pace and, and we'll, we'll do the quality. As far as the teams, I, I agree with, with Jamie. You know, Arsenal have done absolutely shocking business. Chelsea, I've never, I was saying to you, Kev, before we came on, 
I've never known champion, a Premiership winning team get rejected so many times uh, by players in, in, in a summer window afterwards. But like being rejected by Barkley, by rejecting by Lorente, by being rejected by Oxley chamberlain by being rejected by Lukaku. It's just, it just speaks volumes at what's going on behind the scenes there. Um, but yeah, that, that's the I think. Yeah, the, the Chelsea thing was very strange. Um, I'm going to give a quiet shout to Huddersfield. Um, getting Aaron Moy back, I thought was huge for them. Steve Mooney already looks good. Matthias Jorgensen already looks really good. Um, and the thing that's really impressive to me about uh, their business is, A, they brought in a lot of players. Uh, one, two, three, four. It's 10 plus. Um, and they seem to have all... all <laughs> I wasn't going to actually count um, <laughs> they, they have already kind of fit into the system. They're already playing like a team. And uh, to get that done so early is, a, I think, a credit to their board and also a credit to David Wagner, their manager, um, for, for both being able to get the players in and to get them already into a, a cohesive unit. And I think Steve Mounier is, it was a great underrated signing. He was top 10 in goals scored in Ligue 1 last year. And the fact that a club like Huddersfield were able to, to lock him down when, you know, you look at Brighton, who also came up, don't really have a established striker. You look at Newcastle, and I don't think anybody ever really thought Gale was going to be able to do the business as a striker back in the Premier League. Um, I think Huddersfield addressing that issue was huge. And again, I think Matthias Jorgensen is, is one of the best bits of business in the window. The fact that in a window where so many people end the window without center backs <laughs> that they desperately needed, um, getting Jorgensen in for less than $5 million is is nuts. Um, but yeah, I agree. West Brom are definitely in this conversation. Manchester United as well. I think the weird thing about uh, Arsenal, Liverpool, and Tottenham is all of them neglected their biggest need to address areas of strength where Liverpool and Arsenal literally just needed center backs. And so Arsenal go out and buy Lacazette and bring in a left back on a free. Liverpool bring in Salah and Oxlade-Chamberlain in positions of strength. They were already strong in attack. They were already strong on the wings. Uh, and I just don't know why. And Tottenham were obviously very good in defense. Also technically the league's best attack, so, you know, humble brag. But <laughs> um, the fact that with the thing we don't have is pace. And as Mark was saying, that it, at a certain point, tactics can be undone by pace, and we still do not have that option. Um, Aurier coming in is obviously the attempt at that because in our system the wingbacks tend to provide the pace but we are limited because we can only get pace from our wingbacks. Sun is not slow by any stretch but he's not rapid and Nkudu and Sissoko, Nkudu hasn't developed and Sissoko uh, is very aware that he's not playing for France right now uh, and so isn't really turning up in any meaningful way. Although he did look decent as a substitute in the Burnley match. Um, <laughs> he hoped wasn't looking through uh, lily white glasses and Jamie saying he's awful. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think um, I went on Dave Hendrick's show. And I think the, the three tens I gave were Huddersfield, West Brom, and uh, Manchester United. So going to stick with that here, I think all of them did really well. Um, Arsenal, I think, uh, t- let me know if you think this is right. I think they are the clear losers of the transfer window. Great. Absolutely agree. Great. I, I mean, I worry for them this season. I'm not a fan, but I, I, you know, I have a soft spot for Arsenal. But you just see what's going on behind the scenes, and it's just toxic. Like with the whole Wenger situation, and you know, the the 
you don't have to watch TV. You can just watch Arsenal TV, and that's the most entertainment you will ever get at the present moment in time. Because I watched, I watched more Arsenal TV at the end after Liverpool game than I did the Redmen TV. Just purely because just seeing these Arsenal fans just collapse, like mentally they are drained at what's going on there. And then they have that deadline week where they accuse Wenger of not overspending on a player and then they go and lash in 100 million euros on Lamar, which is just insane. And then to not get him, to be rejected. Uh, and then for Chamberlain to leave, who, you know, he's not, you know, they've never like said he's one of their most key players, but just for him to leave and to go to a rival, I think that that annoys fans more than anything. When a, You can understand when a player leaves, but to leave and to go to a, a, a direct rival, that just takes the piss a lot of the times. Yeah, I think a lot of, of how Arsenal's window can be judged does depend if they can bring Sanchez back in. Mm. Um, obviously, it, it wasn't good the way he behaved in the Liverpool game, but he does strike me as someone who will now apply himself. Um, I, I just can't see Sanchez being someone who's ever going to give less than 100%, and he will sort of drag the rest of the team with him a bit, I think. Um, I don't know if that's just wishful thinking on my part because I really like Alexi Sanchez. I don't want to see him sulk for six months, but I think he's going to turn it around and, and it might not be that much of a disaster. Lacazette's obviously an upgrade on their forward options as well. Colosinac is a really good player, mm-hmm. even though they left him on the bench against Liverpool. Don't know why. <laughs> so that they can play their right wing back at left wing back. Obviously. Yeah, exactly. That, that made so much sense, though. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree that Arsenal had a bad window, but I think it's probably been blown out of proportion a little bit. And it's is, the same is with all these clubs, isn't it? Was worse? Probably not. They're <laughs> 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 just not it's, as it's, worse it's as people are saying. Like apocalyptically bad. Um, I think it's maybe just a little bit far. Obviously, mm. they've been lurching from crisis to crisis at Arsenal for for years now. It seems so. Whenever something goes wrong, it's not just that one thing that's gone wrong. It's on top of all the other things that have gone wrong in the last few years as well. Um, but yeah, I suspect they might turn it around a bit. Chelsea had a really bad window as well, to be honest. Um, yeah, I agree. Considering, as Mark says, all the players that turn them down, considering they're the league champions, traditionally, since Roman Abramovich came in, they've paid more than anyone else in the Premier League in terms of wages. Um, so it seems bizarre that they can't get someone like Ross Barkley, who you would think wouldn't even, you'd think he'd jump at the chance to go and play for the league champions, but instead to to be told that Tottenham will come in for him in January and decide to do that instead. Yeah. That's a funny one for me. Lukaku, I thought, would go back to Chelsea. Um, he obviously went to go and play with, with Pogba at United instead. I think that that was indicative of their whole summer for me, that a player that they thought they were going to get went somewhere else or didn't even move. It just goes to show like really bad management on on their end to allow him to be sold to Everton and not have some form of buyback clause in. It just, it just goes to show that. And there was a a podcast I was listening to and I can't remember what it was, but there was a Chelsea fan on there or Chelsea reporter on there. And they were, she was talking about how there's just such bad man management that has gone on at the club at a board level or like, um, a, a player buy-in level, the sporting director level, just to say that how someone like Lukaku can be sold without a buyback clause in, because they obviously knew he was good, but he just wasn't what Mourinho wanted at the time. 
that just... seems to be a thing, do they? Buyback clauses in the Premier League. You don't hear about them over here, whereas when someone like Barcelona sells a player, it's yeah, like standard. Yeah, Nacho that's happened this deal. window, and that's the first one I remember in a long time. It's yeah. creeping in. It's creeping in a lot. Liverpool are doing it a lot now with a lot of their players that they're they're selling at the moment. Um, letting go, they're putting especially the young players. They're putting in these sort of clauses in. You know, sell-on clauses have always been a thing, but now these buyback clauses are starting to creep in. Like you say, it's definitely is a European thing, and it's and it's you know if Iniesta has got one in at Leicester, then it's you know it's no no re, you know it's it's not a coincidence because obviously Tichy Bernstein a Barcelona, massive Barcelona sporting director and whatnot, obviously bringing those things over. But yeah, I mean, there's I mean. Obviously, it's it's no Roman Abramovich has he he revolutionised the Premier League from where it where it was to where it is now, and you know there's a big rumour going around that he's just you know he's just said enough he's enough like the money I've put so much money and this is this is crazy he's going to have to fund a lot a lot of money for this new stadium like a, a, a massive amount of money so there's rumours that he is tightening things up there so. I don't know. I mean, the big one for me, and I was saying to Kev beforehand, was the Laurenti one. That the Swansea, you know, he, Laurenti knows um, Conte. It's like what what has Spurs said to him that Conte can or Chelsea can't have gone to him on on the deadline day and just say, you know what, just just come here. We need something. But again, they've lost a sign into a rival, which is which is madness to let that happen. I I, I can't see Conte lasting there this season. Again, I I, I can see. I can see him being massively annoyed at what's happened this summer, and I can I can see things going from from bad to worse there. Mm. Chelsea wanted Lorente in January as well, so it's not like it's a player that on the in the last week of the window they thought, oh, we should try and sign Fernando Lorente. He's been a long term target there, and they still couldn't get it done. Um, it just seems really strange to me. Something behind the scenes has not worked in chance in Chelsea's transfers this summer, and I think. What sums it up as well is the way that Costa was treated by Conte. Yeah. Obviously, they had the falling out in January, but to then text him, to mm. text him and say that he wasn't wanted, this was a player that, when he's motivated and on form, he pretty much guarantees 20, 25 Premier League goals a season. And to tell him that he wasn't wanted, yeah, it just seemed ludicrous to me. And, and now you look at their squad, They've got what Morata and Batshuayi up front, and mm. you think Costa's probably a better player than either of those at the yep. moment. Yeah, yeah I, definitely. I agree with you, I, I was saying to Mark before the show started. You know, they brought in four or five players, and I think they're a worse team September first this year than they were September first last year. I mean, getting rid of Matic to bring in Bakayoko is a long-term move, but why yeah. are the champions making a long-term move like that? Bringing in Rudiger while sending out Ake and Zuma doesn't yeah. really make the, sense. The strategy seems really muddled. And the fact yeah. that they've got all these players out on loan who will probably never play for them, but they'll make a good profit on them. It just it, it seems to me that the, the priorities may be shifted from what's on the pitch to what's happening off the pitch. Yeah, and Matt, Matt is a prime example again of bad management because Conte doesn't want him, fair enough. So just sell him, but you don't sell him to a rival. You go and sell him abroad, you know, and it's, and yeah, Man United may have come in with more money, but again, it's just you just got to think, right? Well, we don't want to strengthen the rival, but they've gone and strengthened the rival. You know, United now have got, probably going to finish. They ended fi- finished the season at fifth last year. 
and they could quite easily jump over Chelsea this year by the end of this year, just from like signing Lukaku and Matic, two players that were either at Chelsea or looked destined to go to Chelsea, but from whatever for whatever reason they've messed it up, and it's and it's going to be their own fault if they fail to finish outside the top four this year. Yeah, and also Jamie, I love that you mentioned that. Uh... Lorente was a long-term target for Chelsea. They didn't just randomly decide to get him the last week of the window. Yeah. We did. <laughs> we yeah. all of a sudden were just like, yeah. oh, we should. All right, well, we should sign him. Looks like Anson's going on loan. Let's just go get a Lorente. That was, yeah. That was some classic, classic Levi last Classic week. Levy. Classic <laughs> Levy is the last. Unbelievable. And it's like, because I, I was starting to think at some point in the summer, it's like, okay, these, these transfer figures are getting crazy there's one person who is sat there sweating and it's Daniel Levy because he doesn't know how to deal with this he doesn't like 60 70 million players being lashed around he won't know what to do and but it's like classic like last week of the window he picks up picks up three very good players at decent rates you know like normal rates that's yeah. what we know as normal <laughs> you know, like Aurier is uh, obviously a troubled dude but <laughs> they just called him a dude on a show Anyway, um, <laughs> it's super professional of me. Um, but um, he is every bit as talented, if not more so, than Walker was. Comes in at half the fee. $24 million for a right back. Seems like last year prices or the year before prices. That doesn't seem like this window's Don't get me prices. started on Walker. Is, that, <laughs> is, he, is he still officially the most world record fee paid for a defender? Or did that, did that oh, go? I, think, because... I think Mendy broke it like the next week for oh, the same yeah. club. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think the the strange one price wise was Davinson Sanchez, but as you said, he he has the talent to be anywhere world class in, in, at any club. So um, that, was, that was the one we player. were. It but, was the best player at their club, so that's fair enough. You can let that one yeah. by. He's their best player, and he was you the IX uh, so. uh, Young Player of the Year, which Van der Vaart and Vertonghen also once were, which is a nice little Tottenham in thing. Um, but yeah, Aurier uh, was. Obviously, crazy cheap compared to what we sold Walker for. Bringing in Lorente for only you know twelve to fifteen as an established goal scorer. He scored fifteen goals in the Premier League last season. Like I know he's yeah. old and he doesn't really fit our player profile, but you know Jansen scored three, I think. Yeah. So your tweets on deadline day were hilarious when like the whole Lorente thing was happening. You're like, what? Oh Wait. my! <laughs> yeah, like, what? yeah, your, your tweets. I was <laughs> why. <laughs> Yeah. It made me chuckle. The, the point on Lorente is that he's he can't be worse than Vincent Janssen, can he? Really? He really cannot. <laughs> so, even if he only scores a handful of goals, it's still gonna be better than Vincent Janssen because he's probably not gonna score any. So. Yeah, which is which is pretty disappointing. Also, um, somebody was pointing out the impact that Lorente could have on Kane's aerial game is probably not thing a lot of Premier League defenders want to think about. Um, having having a veteran in that is. You know, it has learned the craftiness over the years playing the game, coming in where, you know, Jansen has been garbage, but he's also a big striker. The fact that those two have kind of a mentor figure at the club now. Kane's best mentor in the past was Jermaine Defoe. His other options were Emmanuel Adebayor and Roberto Soldado. So I, I, I really like this move long term. It was weird. It's still weird. The the first time I saw him holding the shirt, even if after I'd heard the deal was done, the first time I saw him holding the shirt, I just had another like, what? But fine, whatever. Um, I, w- I was convinced that the whole point of Spurs going for Lorente 
was just to force Chelsea to pay more money. I never thought that they were actually interested. <laughs> I thought it was just classic Levi forcing up the price for somebody else, just being annoying for the sake of it. <laughs> but yeah, great signing for Spurs. Yeah, thanks. And uh, I'm sure one of the reasons you thought about that is because we colluded with you to make Liverpool pay more for uh, Ings back in the day. That's a nice yeah, little podcast yeah, special with all three clubs represented here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Has it ever been settled? I think that's, that case is still ongoing. It's ridiculous. I think it, it was, um, obviously, because it's been for so long. I think it, yeah, I, I can't remember. It was reported to be about $8 million, And since he's hardly kicked the ball, it looks like a good deal for us now, but... <laughs> Yeah, real shame, Danny Ings, because he had a, a lot of talent. It's just not One of the deals but... I was most surprised didn't happen was Ings back to Burnley on loan. Yeah, I think uh, we've just been scared off loans, I think, the last couple of years. Um, we had Patrick Bamford last season, didn't contribute anything. And we Danny had... Flanagan. Yeah, exactly. Flanagan was rubbish as well. Nathaniel Shalabar, we had him in the, the last Premier League season. He didn't do anything either. Um, so for some reason, loans just haven't really worked for us since... Since we signed Kieran Trippier and Ben Mee in the same season, really, and then converted them into permanent deals, did the same with Michael Keane. So it seems for us, unless it's with a view to buying them further down the line, seems like loans aren't really something that we're looking at at the moment. But yeah, I think Ings to to boost our forward options, it, it would have been something that we'd have all loved to see. But whether Liverpool were willing to let him go or they want to keep him around the squad and try and work on his fitness and get him really sharp and Hope these knee stands up to scrutiny. I think that's it. I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head. He wants to keep him in. He wants to look at him. Uh, he wants to get his fitness back up. But he, he more or less just wants to look at him because um, you know he's not a fan of loans, loaning out players. Klopp he said this from day one. He, he will do it every now and again. Danny Ward being a prime example. But he puts in these really strict playing conditions. Um, he didn't do it with uh, Burnley and uh, Flanagan, but. A, if he if he is to loan a player out, he says like you've got to play, you know, you've got to promise me that he'll plays like say thirty percent of the games, so like throwing out a number. Um, and Newcastle were were really really going after Danny Ings, but he just he I think he just wants to keep him around and just get his fitness back and just make a call whether he's going to be a a squad player or if he's just going to get sold next year. Yeah, it's definitely going to. Be interesting to see how all of this breaks down, um, Jamie. How how do you feel after your window in particular? We we heard Mark talk about uh, his there, and then I kind of raged about Tottenham for a second. But you know, ever since the last season, you've been saying all you needed was a replacement for Keane, and that's like the one thing that didn't actually happen. Yeah, it's 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 a strange one, really, because I think if you park Michael Keane to one side, we had a very good transfer window. Improved the team in various areas, shipped out a few players who weren't really contributing. The squad has a lot more depth than it had last season, and the first 11 is stronger as well. But then, if you unpark Michael Keane, we sold one of our best players, an England international, and didn't sign any defender to replace him. It wasn't that we didn't go out and buy a Michael Keane level player, we were never going to be able to do that. But to not buy any defender, even now, I'm still baffled by it. The guy who's in reserve now, Kevin Long, Republic of Ireland international, he's done okay when he's been called upon, but he's played hardly any football in the Premier League. And over a lot of years at Burnley, 
now. He's one of our longest serving players. He's never been anywhere near first choice. He's only ever been an emergency option. And suddenly now, if something happens to one of our defenders, he's going to be playing. So I think we've taken quite a big risk. Um, but that said, the plan with Keane, I think, was always that James Tarkovsky was going to come in. And Tarkovsky's been very patient. He's waited and he's been on the bench and played the cup games and looked really good. And in fairness, he started the season pretty well. He was very, very good at Spurs in the last game before uh, the international break. So I think it was fair to give him a go. But yeah, if he gets injured, I think we're in a bit of trouble. But we made some really good signings as well. Jack Cork was always talk at Burnley about bringing back old players. And I think Jack Cork was one that was sort of under the radar. I think people forgot about him a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me, but he certainly improves our midfield. He'll sit at the back of the midfield and he also allows us to play a five-man midfield. Whereas we played 4-4-2 most of last season. But 4-5-1 suits more of our players now, I think. So Cork will sit means Stephen DeFore can play. Anyone who's heard me on the podcast before will probably heard me rant about Stephen DeFore being brilliant multiple <laughs> occasions. So I'm delighted that we've now played in a system that has DeFore in his best position and he's been brought back into the fold when it looked like he was going to go. Um, and the, the other major signing is Chris Wood. I wasn't really sold on this deal when I first heard about it, to be honest. Already got to your point. Um, yeah, but then it's amazing what scoring a last-minute equaliser at Wembley does to change your opinion about a player. <laughs> <laughs> and all right, it was only playing against Solomon Islands, but he then went and scored a hat-trick for, for New Zealand on international GT. Played so well in the first leg of their playoff that they sent him home. Decided he wasn't needed for the second leg. <laughs> so, yeah, I think Chris Wood's going to be a really interesting one to watch. He scored a lot of goals in the championship last season. I think 30 goals all competitions for Leeds. It's a big step up to the Premier League. I was a little bit concerned that it was too similar to Sam Vokes, who's been our starting striker for three, four seasons now. But from what even the little bits we've seen of him so far, when he came on at Spurs, he seems to have more about him in terms of movement. He's quite sharp in front of goal. I think it's just one of these big strikers who, because he's big, everyone thinks he's going to be like a target man type player, but he's not really like that. He's just big, so looks like one. Um so, yeah, I'm really interested to see what he does. Um, and we also signed Charlie Taylor from Leeds, a very, very promising left-back. He's, he's not played a lot yet. He's only played in the cup game, but looks like he's going to be a very solid addition with an eye on, on the medium term. So, yeah, I think overall we had a good window. And if we had have signed a centre-back like, I don't know, for example, if we'd been able to get Harry Maguire before he went to Leicester, he would have been perfect as a keen replacement. If we'd have been able to get someone of that level, it would have been a perfect window, as it was, probably six, seven out of ten. Yeah, uh, I assume that, uh, well, I'm not going to assume anything, but you probably figure uh, better than just three worst teams, that you'll, you'll closer, probably closer to tenth in the relegation battle? It, it's very hard to say, isn't it? I mean, even at this stage, I don't think many people expected West Ham to be the worst team in the league. They obviously started badly last year and turned it around. Palace again, they started badly last year and turned it around. So you can never tell how these things are going to play out. Um, I, I do think our defence is going to be the, the issue this season. Since King got injured the end of last season, and since that, since Tarkovsky came in, although he wasn't playing with Ben Mee for the first few games last season, 
we've been conceding close to two goals a game and that's not sustainable. We're not going to go to teams like Chelsea and score three goals very often and win games. So we're going to have to be tighter at the back and put in more performances like we did at Spurs when we restricted them to not that many clear-cut chances, really. And Tom Heaton had a really good game as well. So I think defensively, it's going to be our problem. We'll probably score enough goals, um, but it's going to be close. We could probably finish anywhere from 10th to 19th. It just depends on factors like luck, factors like results against the teams that are around you in the table, injuries, suspensions, all these things can derail you. But I think our squad should be strong enough to just about stay up. Is there a risk that if the West Ham job or Palace job becomes available that, well not Palace, but like Sean Dyke could look to be picked off by these teams or are you confident that he'd stay regardless of what happens? I think at some point he's probably going to think about his next step. Um, there was a lot of talk about Palace in the summer and with hindsight, maybe they think they should have gone for him. Um, whether he would then be interested three games into the season, um, having seen the disaster that De Boer's made of it, um, he might just think to stay clear this club's one to avoid. Uh, West Ham's a different kettle of fish, I suppose. Really, really big club with room to growth, room to grow with the Olympic Stadium and all that stuff. So I think if they were interested, then he'd probably be quite interested in himself. But all the talk about West Ham seems to be Benitez. So um, I don't know. It's not something I'm too worried about personally. Um, he's done a fantastic job for us, Dash, but we're in a strongish position now in that. We've done a lot of work off the ground. We've got brand new training facilities that are as good as anything we could have hoped for. State of the art by Burnley standards, if not for top end of the Premier League. Everything is in place for us to to have another good season. So even if he was to go, I think we'd be more attractive than we've been previously. And it, it gives us an opportunity to, to look a bit further afield and go for one of these exotic foreign managers that everyone else has. <laughs> Get AVB in. That'll be a fun. <laughs> you know, he, he went for the job at Burnley when um, Owen Coyle walked out. The first time we were in the Premier League, Coyle left in the January. AVB applied for the job before he'd worked in England. And they turned him down because he had this really detailed PowerPoint and the directors just didn't understand what he was on about. <laughs> so we could have had AVB at Turf Moor and instead we had appointed Brian Laws and got really is, is it because he rocked up with a PowerPoint and not a printout? Is that is that what it was? It must have been something like that. <laughs> Apparently Brian Laws had this thing from um, some financial <laughs> report. This financial report that said he had the best points per pound spend or something for a season and, and that was enough for him to get the job <laughs> that he played for us in the 80s. I love um, that. But yeah, AVB to Burnley, almost Yeah, Because he didn't get the job. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, well, we are going to do uh, specific questions for each person because we kind of just addressed it naturally. Um, but I do want to get to a quick round of player watch. And uh, we're running a little short on time, but just quickly, who do you think was your best signing this summer and who do you think was the best signing this summer in the Premier League? Yeah, I mean, I've already touched on this, I suppose, but I think... Chris Wood's got the potential to be a very good signing for us. If he scores the goals that he did last season for Leeds, then obviously it'd be fantastic. But it's Jack Cope for me that he's, he's pugged a gap. We obviously needed a midfielder after what happened with Joey Barton. The fact that he has sort of forced us into changing the system, which is a much better fit for a lot of our team, 
the four-five-one worked when we played it in patches last season, and it's worked at the start of this season as well. So I think Jack Cook and just the sort of player who will make everyone around him play a little bit better is is the best signing for us. Um, in terms of the best in the league, I already talked about Matic earlier on. I think he's exactly the player that Man United needed to be a bit stiffer, um, to to like Mark said earlier, to allow Pogba to go and be that attacking threat that everyone knows that's the player he needs to be, not someone who sits. Um, and actually, I think Salah's a fantastic signing for Liverpool. Everyone thought Salah is just the same as Mane, and is he going to be cover for him? Like, what's the point in having two players that are the same? But Liverpool obviously decided that they're just going to hit teams with pace. And to have players of the speed of, of Mane and Salah on either side, it's just going to be terrifying for a lot of defenders this season. Yeah, you, you've, you've pretty much stole my one, Salah. Um, 100% our, our buyer this season. I am so looking forward to seeing Keita. Um, If there's any chance we can get him in January, I would love it because he... He is. He could be anything. He's 22. He's he's already probably Africa's best player, but he is going to take this league by storm if it is next season. We have to wait for him. But yeah, Salah is is exactly what we needed. I mean, we we were so reliant on Mane's pace last year. At, like 110% Mane was probably our best player last season. But when he got injured or when he went away at Afcon, we struggled. And there's like like I said with that start earlier, we let in the same amount of goals in the first nineteen and the second nineteen. Where we struggled was when we were when we lost Manny, we we didn't we we didn't know how to get into those positions where we were scoring all those goals that we did in the first half. So by bringing in Salah, we addressed that issue by bringing in Oxley Chamberlain, because then we've got a backup because we can't expect these two boys to play fifty games this season. We need to have backup and pace and you know, Ox will do that. Um, the best signing in the league, I'm going to go uh, a bit left field and go Maguire at Leicester City. He is an unreal defender and how Leicester were able to get him for less than, I think he went for £16 million in the end, is like an amazing bit of business because I would have loved Liverpool to go get him and then go for the uh, for Van, um, for Van Dijk as well, just purely because and that would have boxed off our left centre-back um, he could be anything, and I can see him going, uh, if not next summer, the summer after, to a, another team. And you're probably going to be looking again, 50, 60 million pounds. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do in this Leicester team because he's, he's a really, really good defender. Yeah, for Tottenham, uh, regardless of off the field stuff, I think Serge Aurier is clearly the best signing we made. Um, Truly believe that on his best day, he can be the best right back in the world. Uh, Danny Carvial, obviously, heinously more consistent um, and can really do it all for, for Real Madrid. But uh, Aurier has everything that you want. I, he kind of is an average of Kyle Walker and Kieran Trippier in terms of their individual skill sets. He's not as rapid as Kyle Walker is, and he can't cross as well as Kieran Trippier can. But... You know, he it's one player, so you don't have to constantly rotate to try to get the best out of one of them. Um, and the fact that we got him in for $24 million, uh, I think, is great business. And the way that we guaranteed he'd come to us is we were the ones that sponsored his work visa. So if he had tried to go to the, any of the other clubs, he would have had to re-go through the work permit process on deadline day. Um, so uh, a little cleverness there from Levy, as always, as has been mentioned by you two. Levy always has a trick or two up his sleeve, and that was the one on that deal. 
Um, as for the entirety of the Premier League, I agree. Matic, I think, was a brilliant signing. Um, Krachowiak to West Brom is just silly. Um, I, I really hope that someday we hear the whole story on how that happened. Because um, it seems so far-flung, so out of left field. Um, I think I'm actually going to go with Renato Sanchez, though, to Swansea. Uh, obviously did not really live up to the billing at uh, Bayern Munich last year, didn't really get the minutes, but they ran it very late to just not replacing Sigurdsson at all. And Renato Sanchez, to be fair, is more of a central midfielder than an, atta- than an attacking midfielder, but uh, they're definitely going to have to play him further up. Uh, Gitto said the same on a club update. Uh, and while... Um, I mean, Matic could be the difference between United just finishing top four and potentially winning the title. I think Renato Sanchez can make the same difference for Swansea between going down and potentially not. Uh, But yeah, I'll I'll kind of toss it between those two. All right, that'll do it for us today. So if you'd like to tell people uh, where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yep, I've been Jamie Smith. I cover Burnley Football Club for anyone who will have me really. You can follow me on Twitter at Jamie Smith. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I've been Mark Simpson representing Liverpool on Twitter. It is at Mr. Mark Simpson, and that's Mark with a K. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, at Kevroff on Twitter. Uh, You can find uh, me on the Fantasy Premier League Roundtable, which is on this very channel, the FPLRT. Uh, I also uh, am the fantasy writer over at Goal.com. You can find that under the Gaming tab. I also do DFS fantasy content for VIPbet.com and for Fantrax, so be sure to check those two out if you are into daily fantasy sports, which can be a lot of fun, and you can win, like, for real money, which is pretty neat sometimes. Uh, But thanks to you uh, guys for coming back on. It was a pleasure, and we hope you keep listening. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,